are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Good to see you. It's good to see new faces trickling in here every week. We get more people in here. Welcome to Life Community Church. Glad that you're here. So many things that you could be doing today, and so we're glad that you chose to join us today. I've got a lot of comments already today on my shirt, um, and I will let you know that if you stare at my stomach right here, a dolphin will appear. It's one of those ideas, so... We're going to be in uh, our series, Fruit of the Spirit, based out of Galatians 5. We're going to be bouncing around to different scriptures, and so you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. There was a man, his name was Clarence Jordan, and he was an unusual man of abilities and commitments. He had two PhDs, one in agriculture and one in Hebrew and Greek. This guy is nails, like they're are hardly any people that I could ever imagine having those sorts of PhDs. And he could have chosen to do whatever he wanted to do in his life, but Clarence Jordan decided and chose to serve the poor. And so in 1940, he founded a farm in America's Georgia called Cononia Farms. I always want to say Narnia for some reason, but it's Cononia Farms. And it was a community of poor whites and poor blacks coming together over agriculture and and supplying each other with needs. And as you may guess, that idea did not go very well in the Deep South in the 1940s. And ironically, much of the resistance came from good church people that Clarence Jordan knew. They followed the law of segregation as well. And the people of this town did everything they could to stop Clarence Jordan. They would boycott his farm. They would slash the tires of his workers as they came into town over and over again for 14 years. They tried to put an end to this farm. And then finally, in 1954, the Ku Klux Klan had enough. They were going to put an end to Clarence Jordan once and for all. And so they arrived one night with torches and guns, and they burned down every building on that farm except for Clarence Jordan's house, which they riddled with bullets. And Jordan noted that the voices that he heard from the Klansmen that night were familiar. They were the voices of people who sat in the pews next to him, and one of a news reporter that was well-known and the same day, that new, the, the, the next day, the, that news reporter came to the farm to interview Clarence Jordan. And the rubble was still smoldering. The land was scorched. But what he found was not Clarence Jordan fleeing, but he found Clarence Jordan in the field hoeing and planting. And the reporter remarked to Jordan, he said, I heard the awful news and I came out to do a story on the tragedy of your farm clothing. closing." And Clarence didn't pay attention to him. He just kept planting and hoeing. And the reporter kept 
prodding and poking, trying to get a rise out of this very gentle, quiet, determined man who seemed to be planting instead of packing his bags and leaving. And so finally, the reporter said with a very haughty voice, Dr. Jordan, you've got two of them PhDs. And you've put 14 years into this farm and there's nothing left at all. Just how successful do you think you've been? And Clarence Jordan stopped hoeing and he turned to the reporter with his piercing blue eyes and said quietly but firmly, about as successful as the cross. Sir, what you don't understand is that we're not about success, but we are about faithfulness and we're staying. And from that day forward, Clarence Jordan set out to rebuild his farm. And that farm still stands today as an inspiration to all of us in America's Georgia. What a radically different approach to life that Mr. Jordan believed in. He had all the acumen, all the prestige, two PhDs, and some prolific fields. He could have made a name for himself in the world in big ways. However, the pull to be successful and live out the American dream was not appetizing at all to Clarence Jordan. Success for Mr. Jordan didn't center on the attainment of things in his life. It wasn't about building prestige and honor and his finances and acquiring things. Mr. Jordan had a different vision of success one that saw faithfulness as the highest virtue and standard. Mr. Jordan was loyal to God and no one else. And his faithfulness produced something of greater esteem than successfulness, fruitfulness. Clarence Jordan's life had the unique flavor of Christ that the world so desperately needed. And you can still see his influence today in another charity that he started called Habitat for Humanity. And during the civil rights fight in the 1960s in the South, it was said that Mr. Jordan chose not to participate in the marches and the demonstrations of the era, although he agreed wholeheartedly with them. He believed that the best way, the most effective way to change society was to live in community with others as one who lived a radically different life. And it was his faithfulness that brought his fruitfulness for his joy and for God's glory. You know, we spend a lot of time in this world, a lot of time and energy and effort focused on teaching the next generations behind us what it means to be successful. We train them to the means of how we become successful. We earnestly desire above most everything is that our kids and our grandkids would just be good. And so we train them and we equip them and we model them for how they can be successful and how they can be good. And today, increasingly, we invest and spend more in our kids' athletics to be great athletes or good athletes that just fit in than most third-world countries have per capita income. But how much time do we invest and model to the next generation, to our kids and grandkids, to our coworkers, what it means to be faithful? Because overwhelmingly, the societal pressure view success as going to school, getting into college, getting a degree, finding a job, having a family, gaining promotion, and then retiring to die in leisure. 
That is the American dream. And there is a problem when we adhere more greatly to what it means to be successful in the world than what it means to be faithful to God. And those things aren't mutually exclusive of each other. We can be successful and be faithful, but it is a difficult balance to find. A difficult balance. And so faithfulness can be defined as a firm adherence to our promises or an observance of duty. And it includes words like loyalty and fidelity and steadfastness and allegiance. Author Eugene Peterson writes about faithfulness as a long obedience in the same direction. And through that obedience, through that faithfulness, we arrive at what it really means to be successful as a Christian, that we are fruitful in our lives. Jesus says these words in Matthew 7. He says, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will, be recognized, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Fruitfulness is the evidence of God that becomes noticed in our lives by other people. And to be successful as a Christian is to be fruitful. And to be fruitful comes with us being faithful. And what the world needs more than ever are fruitful Christians whose only priority in life is to be faithful to God. Not to an emotion, not to a person, but to God and His Word. And we need to understand that that faithfulness requires just as much modeling and teaching as success does. It takes just as much to model and teach faithfulness to the next generations and to our coworkers and our friends as it does success. And where we lack in modeling faithfulness, we will see it dwindle. And so today we are examining Paul's writings in Galatians 5 in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we are going to illuminate faithfulness. And we need to understand that faithfulness, because of the grace of God, is not something that we have to look back on our life and regret that we didn't do. But faithfulness is always something that through the grace of God that we can begin right now. And so the three fruits that we walked into early, the love, love, joy, and peace, we said that they are a grouping of three that are inherent in our vertical relationship with God. In our vertical relationships with God, we want love and joy and peace. And patience and kindness and goodness are the horizontal manifestations that other people see when we have love, joy, and peace in our life with Christ. And today we start faithfulness, which is the last grouping of three. Faithfulness, gentleness, which is also translated into meekness and self-control. And these, this group is a discipline group. This, these are the diff disciplines that we who are believers have that are produced in our life to grow, hold, and keep us. And so faithfulness is vitally important. And it's just as vital to understand where it comes from and what it requires of us. And so let's spend our time doing that today. The word that we find here in Galatians 5 that's translated into the English language as faithfulness is the word pistis. 
And it is found in our New Testament some 244 times, and it's translated by context mostly into the word faith, then into the word faithfulness, and then on some occurrences it's translated into assurance. And this idea of faithfulness or faith is the substance that is formed and displayed and magnified in God's love for his creation, a creation in which he has made promises and promises in which he has always fulfilled. And so if we're going to open up our Bibles, we're going to read about a God who is faithful. And we can turn to the book of Numbers and we can read chapter 23 and verse 19 where it says that God is not man that he should lie. Or is a son of man that he should change his mind? Has he said, and will he not do it? And the answer is a resounding, yes, he will always do it. In the book of Number or Lamentations, in chapter 3, it says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then the author of Hebrews writes, In chapter 10, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he, God, who promised, is faithful. Faithfulness is a divine attribute of God, and not an attribute that he has perfected through practice, but an attribute that is perfect by his nature. God cannot be anything but faithful. Unfaithfulness is an impossibility to God. He has always been faithful to his people, and he can never be anything less than faithful. Now, that faithfulness, I mean, that doesn't mean lucky charms and mansions. It doesn't mean the good life. Faithfulness doesn't interpret that way. It simply means that God will always live up to his word, even in the midst of my struggle. That God is faithful even if my life doesn't meet my expectations. Because faithfulness is less about God blessing me with the life that I desire and more about God keeping me by the love in which I do not deserve. So listen, God is committed to you. And he has been nothing less than committed to you. And that is true on your best day and it is true on your worst day. One of the rich traditions of Judaism is the fact that they mark and teach and remember the long story of God's faithfulness to their people. And so if you were around Jewish people in the time of Jesus, you would know that they would have known and remembered and memorized the story of God's faithfulness in the Exodus the story of God's faithfulness in the desert and the deliverance into the promised land. You would have known by memory the faithfulness that God showed to King David, the faithfulness that God showed to his people in defeating the enemies of Israel. You would have known his faithfulness, and you would have known that, and you would have seen it, because the people back then share a common quality with you and I. We are a people who tend to forget And it is quite often the case that we focus on our present circumstances of heartache and struggle and forget the long story of God's faithfulness to us. We need to remind ourselves that God is committed to us and he will be nothing less than committed to those who have faith. And then he has commanded that we would display in response 
the same faithfulness that God has shown to us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And so how do we do that? How is one faithful? Our faithfulness is a response to God's love and grace and faithfulness that has never, ever given up on me. And that faithfulness is grown by the Spirit, like the mustard seed that we hear about in Scripture, that seed of faith, that mustard seed that sprouts into this massive plant. Our faithfulness is grown as we abide and we rest and we remain in God. And there are three important thoughts that I believe should be compelled to understand what it means to be faithful. And so let's walk through those. Faithfulness to God is, number one, a conviction that is greater than my comfort. It's a conviction that is greater than my comfort. And when I say conviction, I'm not talking about you doing something wrong and then feeling like it was wrong. It's not a conviction of sin. This is a conviction in thought or belief that you hold strongly, firmly. And many of us in this room have great conviction over things that we love and believe, so much so that we will allow those convictions to cost us our personal comfort. There may be people in our lives that we love And we love them so much and we have great conviction in our love for them that if they were stranded on the side of the road, that we would allow that interruption to supersede my normative expectations of how my day should go or how my life should go. We will let that love and conviction supersede my desires to serve them and their cause. That is faithfulness. If I am to model faithfulness to the world, to my kids, to my coworkers, it will be seen and known through the sacrifices that I'm willing to make to serve the kingdom of God before the kingdom of me. Does my belief in Christ, does my belief that God's word contains the flourishing wisdom for humanity, Does that belief show itself in the decisions and choices I make in my life? And even in the fruit of the Spirit that we've spent so much time on already, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if they, the fruit, is not guided, directed, and authored out of conviction that what I need most and what the world needs most is the costly peace that was purchased through Christ for my sin and my rebellion, they are not the fruit of the Spirit, but they are preferences that serve me. The fruit is produced out of faithfulness to God, to His Word, and it cannot be detached from who he is and what he has said. If I love, it's a love that is faithful to God. If I show kindness, it's a kindness that is faithful to God. If I show meekness, it's a a meekness that is faithful to God. In all things, I am faithful to God. And so faithfulness is a conviction that is greater than my comfort, and it says that I must serve the cause that is greater than mine. I must serve the cause that is greater than mine. Number two, 
Faithfulness is a confidence that boasts in the cross. You know, when I look at this room and the people in here, and I know the sorts of people that are tuning in online, there is a massive amount of wisdom and knowledge that is underappreciated. There is a collective wisdom in this room amongst you that at sometimes makes me wonder why it's me that's up here and not you. Maybe you've wondered that yourself from time to time. But as smart as we are, as wise as we are, we are not God. We are not God. And our lives resemble more of a roller coaster than the projected smooth road that those who think they figured out life compel. As smart as we are, as wise as we are, we have an infinite lack of wisdom and insight. We don't know what's really good for us. We think that we do, only to find out later that it wasn't. We need to remember the words of our friend Job that we studied not too long ago. In Job chapter 12, Job says, with God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. God has wisdom and might. There has never been a beginning to God. There will never be an end to God. He created the world. He sustains the world. There is nothing that has ever perplexed him. There is nothing that has ever outmatched him. We need to have the humility to trust God and his wisdom over myself and my wisdom and the capacity to humble ourselves and seek forgiveness when we forget. Because when we look at the cross, we are reminded that meekness Humility and death were the tools that authored the most powerful event in the course of human history and the resurrection. And that is a wisdom that defies the world. And that is a wisdom that is different than mine. And it's not only different than mine, it's better than mine. And so faithfulness, faithfulness is a confidence that boasts in the cross. And it says that I must trust in a wisdom that is outside of mine. I must trust in a wisdom that is outside of mine. And number three, faithfulness is a commitment to a long obedience that produces fruit. Christopher Wright, who I've mentioned before, in this series, wrote a book called Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit. And in that book, he talks about visiting a newborn baby. He says, if you would go visit a newborn baby and you would see this baby mere days after it was born, you will be awestruck by its beauty. You would, would praise God for his goodness. Maybe, maybe you don't like babies that much, but this is the normal people who like babies. This is how they would feel. Now, if you came back and visited that child nine or ten months afterwards, and you walked in the room, and they were the exact same size, they acted the exact same way, and all appearances and actions, that baby was the same from the day that you met them first. That ten-month-old baby looked and acted still like a two-day-old baby. You wouldn't leave that room going, oh, that's a beautiful baby. What would you leave that room saying? What's wrong with that baby? What's going on behind that scene? It would lead to lots of questions about what's going on. But in the realm of Christianity today, there is this idea that you can be a believer in Christ 
without ever looking like Christ. That you can have faith in Jesus and not begin to look more and more like him as you mature in him. And that, for some reason, has been deemed acceptable. But we should be asking the same questions of ourselves as we should of a 10-month-old baby that acts like a newborn. The decision to follow Jesus isn't one and done. It's not a check mark that gets us heaven. It's an invitation into a long obedience where the grace of God and the Spirit of God transforms us into something utterly different than we ever thought was possible in our life. And we must be more serious about that process than anything else in our life. Because faithfulness to God will bring fruitfulness for God. But we far too often settle for trying to look fruitful than to follow the hard road of being faithful. We would rather get the accolades of looking fruitful instead of walking the long path of obedience that transforms us into Jesus. I'll illustrate that by telling you a story. I had a friend who I had a conversation with that centered around an unhealthy desire for them to control the people in their lives as a product of them not dealing with their own issues. They would care and try to fix other people's problems and issues as a means from keeping them from confronting their own personal flaws and their own personal issues. I asked them a very pointed question about the kids when they left the house. They're an empty nester. And I asked, when your kids left, how did that go? And they said, not very well. Because the only person I had to look at was myself. And then they responded, but then I had grandkids. And the process started all over again. I think it can be said of the church that sometimes we prefer catchy strategies and programs that make us look fruitful without ever walking the hard road of faithfulness. We prefer to create energy and events where I can begin to deal with fixing the problems of others who are worse off than me as an excuse for not dealing with my own waywardness and my own issues. Christ first and foremost has asked us to be faithful to him in heart. He has asked us to be faithful to him above ourselves. He has asked us to be faithful to his wisdom. Often we take on the projects of other people because we don't want to walk and face the humbling process of dying to self as we let Jesus journey into the most ugly, vulnerable parts of ourselves that he might, through his grace and his love, transition them from our own kingdoms to the rule and the reign of his kingdom by our confession and repentance and prayer and leaning on one another. We shortcut faithfulness because we like the acclaim of what it means to be fruitful. And so we want nothing more than to be faithful here at Life Community. We don't want strategy. We don't want flashy marketing. We believe that it is faithfulness that produces fruitfulness. And if you meet a spiritual authority that claims authority over you and you can't look in their life and you can't see the evidence of Jesus Christ transforming their life into one image of Christ to the next, 
then you ask them some very hard questions. And that applies to me. I love to teach. I love to pastor. But I care less about being the best teacher. I don't care about having the biggest church. But you confront me if you can't find the evidence of Jesus Christ growing in my life. That is loving me. You hate me if you don't. Because faithfulness is all that matters. We have one concern, Christian, and it is to be faithful. To be faithful. Not successful, but to be faithful. It is a long obedience in the same direction. The Gospel of Matthew talks about a parable called the parable of the talents. And it's about a king who leaves. And upon his leaving, he gives his servants some property, talents. It's, an, it's a, a unit of money. And he gives this, these servants talents for them to use and invest because he's going to come back. And upon his return, after a long while, he sequesters, he, or he calls these servants into his presence and asks them how they did. And there's one who did nothing with his talents. And he is chastised for his laziness. And he is chased away. And there are two who took the talents and were faithful and invest and brought back more. Some small, some big. And to each of them, God gave or the master gave more. And then he said these words to those servants in Matthew 25, verse 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. This parable isn't about any king. It's about our king, Jesus. And it's not about just any servant. It's about us. We are the servants of Christ. And what the Lord will commend us on when we enter into his presence someday is not how much stuff I owned, not who I knew or how many things that I did, but how faithful I was to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the words that we will long to hear when we enter glory someday from our Savior. And so, friends, we can let the world have its pleasure for its short and season. But for you and I, let us be faithful. You be faithful. Have a conviction that is greater than your comfort, a confidence that boasts in the cross, and a commitment to the long obedience that produces fruit. You be faithful. And if you're young in here today, do not get trapped up into the chasings of this world that tells you success looks like this. You be faithful. Be faithful to God and live a radically different life for Christ in community with others. That is how we change the world. That is how we're fruitful. That is how Jesus changed the world. A radically different life in community with others. Be faithful. Let's pray. Father, it's true that we so often get taken away with the strategy and the knowledge of the world that is teaching us how to be successful and how to be a good person. And Father, it is at the cost of us learning what it means to be faithful to you. And so, Lord, by your grace, will you just can compel our hearts, convict our hearts 
of where we've made this life about being successful and acquiring, will you help us to just be faithful? That we wouldn't pursue the accolades of looking like we have it all together, look like we're being fruitful, but we would be committed by your Spirit, through your Spirit, to the long path of obedience that transforms our life. God, let us be a faithful people. Let us be a church that is faithful to you and to one another that we might be fruitful to our community and to our world. And we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.